Welcome to today's Forty Springer Health Law Expressions podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry Cassell. And I'm Hala Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case. The title of today's podcast is You're in Trouble. In this week's episode, we are focusing on a North Carolina Medicaid case. Now, as we have discussed in the past, every state Medicaid program is unique. If you've seen one Medicaid program, then you've only seen one Medicaid program. The rules of each Medicaid program must be considered when it comes to what is considered to be billing fraud under that state program. However, when it comes to kickbacks, stolen identity, and taking advantage of Medicaid beneficiaries to make a buck, it's safe to assume that if anything, if something is unlawful in the state of North Carolina, it will land you in the slammer everywhere else as well. To fully understand today's case, there are several things you need to know about North Carolina's Medicaid program. North Carolina's Medicaid program covers drug testing. However, in order for a drug test to be covered, North Carolina Medicaid Provider Laboratory is required to submit certain information to Medicaid, including the rendering provider's NPI number, the Medicaid recipient's identification number, dates of service, the procedure code, and the diagnosis code. North Carolina Medicaid's program has two categories of drug tests. One, presumptive urine drug tests, which determine the presence or absence of a drug class in a urine sample, and two, definitive urine drug tests that identify specific medications, illicit substances, and metabolites of these drugs in a urine sample. There are also a couple different ways that a provider can order these drug tests on an individual. One way is through a standing order, which is a request by a medical provider for repetitive testing of a single beneficiary to monitor a condition for a limited number of visits using a predetermined set of tests. Another method is a blanket order, where a medical practitioner requests repetitive tests for all the beneficiaries in that provider's practice without individualized decision-making at every visit. Because today's case covers a five-year period of time, it's important to know that prior to November 1, 2017, North Carolina Medicaid would accept drug test claims based on a blanket order for up to 20 presumptive drug tests per beneficiary per calendar year. However, they would not authorize claims for definitive drug tests based on a blanket or a standing order. Then, on November 1, 2017, the North Carolina Division of Medical Assistance issued a new coverage policy that governs Medicaid claims for drug tests for opioid treatment and controlled substance monitoring. These rules change the extent to which North Carolina Medicaid covered drug tests and provide that Medicaid will cover drug testing when it, when it is medically necessary and individualized, specific, and consistent with symptoms or confirmed diagnosis and not in excess of the beneficiary's needs, which seems very reasonable. Medicaid will also cover up to 24 presumptive tests and 24 definitive tests per beneficiary per calendar year. A presumptive test is medically necessary when it is deemed appropriate by a medical professional as part of the evaluation and management of a beneficiary who presents with any one of a list of physical symptoms that may indicate drug use. 
Drug tests for North Carolina Medicaid beneficiaries diagnosed with a substance use disorder must be performed at random intervals to properly manage and monitor the beneficiary's care. And the reason for the drug testing frequency must be documented in the beneficiary's medical records. So you can see the North Carolina Medical Assistance Program has moved to require some basis in order for the drug tests in order for Medicaid to uh, reimburse the provider for that test. So Hala, with these rules in mind, why don't you tell us how they apply to today's case? So today we're focusing on a Mr. Donald Booker who owns several different North Carolina companies all involved in this scheme in their own way. So Mr. Booker owned first United Diagnostic Laboratories, a clinical medical lab that provided urine toxicology testing. Second, United Youth Care Services that provided mental health and substance abuse treatment services and did the billing for United Diagnostic Laboratories. That's important here. And a company called United Youth Care Foundation. So this case also involves a Ms. Dolores Jordan, who owned Legacy Housing Group, which provided subsidized housing to tenants in cities across North Carolina, a very valuable resource to low-income individuals. Now, according to the indictment, Ms. Jordan and a group of recruiters, some known, some unknown, identified North Carolina Medicaid-eligible beneficiaries that participated in the subsidized housing programs operated by Ms. Jordan's company, Legacy Housing Group, in addition to individuals that involved in after-school programs also connected with the scheme and mental health and other clinics. Now, the recruiters then required these identified Medicaid-eligible beneficiaries in these programs to submit urine specimens as a condition of their continued involvement in the programs. So if these individuals wanted to continue to do things like go to mental health clinics or just get subsidized housing, they had no choice but to provide a urine sample. And you probably already guessed, but all of these urine specimens that were collected in order for individuals to continue to participate in these programs were sent to Mr. Booker's United Diagnostic Lab. Now, after identifying these individuals, the recruiters also obtained their, the beneficiaries' personally identifiable information. So their names, addresses, date of birth, Medicaid beneficiary number, and then submitted this information to United Youth Care Services and United Diagnostic Lab. Medical professionals then signed standing orders, which again is repetitive testing of a single beneficiary to monitor a condition for a limited number of visits during using a predetermined set of tests, and other documents authorizing United Diagnostics Lab drug testing on the urine specimens, essentially giving them the stamp of approval as medically necessary. In exchange, the medical professionals were paid an amount that the government considered to be a kickback by United Youth Care Services. Now, between January 2016 and May 2021, United Youth Care Services submitted over $20 million in claims to North Carolina Medicaid and were paid over $15 million in reimbursement. Then, in turn, United Youth Care Services paid roughly $1.6 million to Ms. Jordan in exchange for medically unnecessary drug testing of urine specimens provided under the names of actual Medicaid beneficiaries referred by her through her legacy housing company. Now, with all the schemes involved, it was inevitable that other crimes were also committed in order to further the healthcare fraud. Now, the DOJ has discretion to decide whether to bring charges for these other crimes. And here, the DOJ exercised its discretion and threw the book at Mr. Booker and Ms. Jordan. So in addition to charges of Medicaid fraud and kickback conspiracy, Mr. Booker and Ms. Jordan were charged with identity theft conspiracy because they 
along with their co-conspirators, transferred, possessed, and used the personally identifiable information of actual Medicaid beneficiaries in whose names they submitted Medicaid claims for medically unnecessary urine tests after they obtained this information through recruiting programs. The DOJ also tacked on money laundering conspiracy charges because of Mr. Booker and Ms. Jordan's agreement to conceal and disguise the nature and source of United Youth Care Services' illegal kickback payments to Ms. Jordan for her drug testing referrals. And the DOJ came prepared for this one. So the DOJ said that the money laundering was accomplished by Mr. Booker writing checks to Ms. Jordan with misleading memo lines like housing expenses, payroll, and contract labor. They also said he concealed the kickback checks to recruiters by disguising them as part of his regular payroll and paying them each a flat amount of $5,000 if any of the any excess over that was paid in a separate payroll check. And then Mr. Booker also caused United Youth Care Services to transfer funds obtained from the scheme to the United his United Youth Care Foundation, another company he owned, to pay the recruiters. He transferred this money by check with misleading memo lines, again, like lab marketing or contract services. Mr. Booker also knowingly evaded financial institutions' reporting requirements by paying Ms. Jordan and others in multiple checks under $10,000 instead of one singular check. Because, for those of you that are not aware, any payment of $10,000 or above requires an immediate report to the IRS. And finally, in an attempt to make the illegal kickback scheme appear to satisfy the agency agreement safe harbor of the anti-kickback statute, they negotiated an unsigned agreement under which Ms. Jordan would purportedly market United Youth Care Services services in exchange for per- a percentage of all revenue generated by such services. So, you know, Hela, how they ever thought that would satisfy <laughs> any safe harbor is beyond me, and it just seems like you know, a little too little too late at this point after all the other stuff that they did. I agree, Henry. I think a quick conversation with an attorney might have led them to a different pathway there. <laughs> yeah, like not do this. <laughs> so on December 9th, 2022, Ms. Jordan ended up pleading guilty to healthcare fraud conspiracy and the money laundering conspiracy. Now Mr. Booker is a little bit more brave and he chose to take his chances with the jury. Not a wise move. Um, So his case went to trial, and on January 10th of this year, a federal jury convicted him of conspiracy to commit health care fraud, multiple violations of the anti-kickback statute, money laundering conspiracy, and money laundering. Although a date for sentencing has not yet been sent, Mr. Booker and Ms. Jordan can expect, and I should add, but especially Mr. Jordan for making the government go through the the aggravation of proving all these claims, can expect a very long stint in a federal prison. They should also not get used to their ill-gotten gains since the government is also likely to require them to forfeit all the assets they obtained in connection with their various schemes. In closing, all we can say to Mr. Booker and Ms. Jordan is that you're in more trouble than you've ever bargained for. If you want to learn more about the False Claims Act, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the Stark Law, amendment to regulations like those, and much, much more, consider joining Dan Mahon and myself in Phoenix in no- from November 16th to 18th, 2023, for our next seminar. In the interim, be sure to check the Horty Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health Law Express, as well as more information about new and upcoming opportunities for this and many other health law-related topics. And again, also keep tuning in to the Kickback Chronicles. 
We love our listeners. So thanks for listening and tune in next time to the Kickback Chronicles to keep learning from the misfortune of others. Mm-hmm.